Let's jump in to our, our message today. We're in this series, What's It Look Like to Be a Jesus-Centered, Spirit-Filled Church? What's it look like to be a Jesus-Centered, spirit Well, the good news is this. <clears throat> All we gotta do is take some time to study the book of Acts. And what we'll see is a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled church. To help you understand a little piece of this, though, I want to go to um, uh, uh, my grill. You ready for this? This, folks, is not a gas grill. This is a charcoal grill like Jesus had. <clears throat> now, I, I haven't seen this in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure it, Jesus more of a charcoal than a gas grill type guy. If, if I know Jesus like I think I know Jesus, then I think he would be. But I, I want you to notice something. I did this on purpose the other day when I was making burgers. So, so here's um, the, all the, I just put lighter fluid on, lit it up. All the charcoal briquettes are at the top piece there. Then I put one briquette at the bottom. Notice it's burning. I put a little lighter fluid on that briquette. There's just that one all by itself down below. I put one all the way down there. I want you to notice something. Charcoal is made to feed off of one another. And really, it has to be close to other briquettes in order to work. So when it got time to put the grill on and it got time to spread these, what did it look like? Let's go to the next one. Yes, I took a picture. Don't you all take pictures of your charcoal grill? But do you notice the bottom one? It just kind of has a little blip. Just a little bit. In fact, the whole rest of the time, that's as much burnt as you would see that bottom one. But look at all the others. At top. In fact, I can testify to you that all any blackness on the, those top ones was completely gone and turned to gray ash. Why? Because charcoal briquettes are made to feed off of one another, to heat one another, to, um, uh, to cause one another to get hot and stay hot. But when you get a charcoal briquette off by itself, what happens? It just fizzles out. Scott, what's your point? I'm glad you asked. You probably already put it together. When, when, when you study the book of Acts, you don't see just a bunch of people just off on their own. You don't see a bunch of people just off doing their own. Hey, you got saved? You put your faith in the Messiah? Woo, good work. See you later. Good luck. No. You see them fellowshipping. In fact, you see what looks to be like what I would say is a red hot fellowship. We see a church that is intensely relational. Now, even if you're, you would not put yourself in the golden retriever category. Have you ever taken one of those tests? I've, I've taken these personality tests where it says if you're a golden retriever or if you're a skunk or not. I don't, I don't think that's on but if you're whatever, and the golden retrievers, all the ones that just love being around people, I'm just a big high people, even if you're not a golden retriever type person. Let me just tell you something. God still wants to use you to minister to others, and there's things that others have that you need. We study and we look at the book of Acts, and we see they were devoted to what? Acts 2, 24, or 42. Acts 2.42, what's it say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. It was part, the fellowship, one another. It was part of who they were and what they did. Now, I'm about ready to go all Greek on you. I don't know Greek, but I know many that do. 
And so let me just tell you, there's a word for fellowship. It's used over 20 times in the New Testament. If you've been in church for long, you've probably heard this. It's fun to say. It's called koinonia. Koinonia. That's, that's the, the, the biblical definition would be something like this. In fact, I made it the title of the message. If you want to grab the message notes in the chair in front of you, grab those notes, grab a pen, fill in as we go, and maybe doodle to help you stay focused. Koinonia can be defined as holding something in common. We hold something in common. So now this might be kind of deep, but I want you to get this, and I think you're ready. So, so let, me, let me just go there for a second. When you study the book of Acts and you see their koinonia, what, what, what makes you koinonized? <laughs> it's not really Greek. That's Scott. But what, what makes you connected to one another? How do you really... How do we really join a fellowship? How do you really join God's kingdom? How do you really join even pathway for that matter? What is it we, we must hold in common? Koinonia, first, first one, here it is. What do we hold in common? Here's, here it is. Koinonia expresses what we share in together. In, pretty simple. Now, don't get ahead of me, but I'm guessing you might be able to figure out what number two is without me saying it. But we're going to stay on number one. We're staying on number one, but expresses, coining expresses what we share in together. What do we share in together? Here it is. Ready? Salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation in Jesus Christ. You are embedded into God's kingdom. You are embedded in the fellowship, as it were, into a union of common life with every other believer when you get saved. And th this is what makes you a part of the fellowship. This is what it looks like several verses earlier. Um, look in Acts chapter 2, because you have your Bibles open. Look at verse 37. Peter just let him have it with an amazing message. And then he said this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Repent. Let me ask you something. Have you joined this body of believers called Pathway? Yes, sir. I went through Starting Point. I filled out that gray card and got my letter from the official church board. It was amazing. I, I actually put it in a frame. It's on my wall. No, I'm just joking. I, I don't expect you to do that. But that's not what I'm asking. Have you joined the Fellowship of Pathway? I come here regularly, Pastor. You should know, yes. Have you joined the Fellowship? Are you part of the Fellowship? Yes, I serve here. I'm out there waving at people in the parking lot. I'm out there ushing. I'm out there uh, coffeeing. I'm out there uh, uh, checking people in. I'm in the nurseries. I'm in the kids' ministry. I'm the student ministry. I serve here. I'm not asking any of that. All those things are important. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. But what is it that really, that, that is genuine biblical fellowship? What is it that brings us into real, genuine biblical fellowship? Here it is. It's repentance and it's belief in Jesus Christ. Understand something. All of these at this point that are in the Bible, they, they had a shared, a shared common uh, culture, a shared common 
religion of what we call the Jewish religion, right? Let me go here. Let me go to Northridge High School, class of 1992. That was my class. You know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message, and it really, what I'm getting ready to share to you, it kind of broke my heart. But let me just say, here it is. I would say that the majority of the class that I graduated with many, many, many years ago, the majority of them had a sense of God. The majority of them, I mean, didn't have a, a problem singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, singing the Hallelujah Chorus twice uh, in our high school career. Every year we sang it, people stood up, it was something. Sang high tenor once, sang low bass the other time. But if you're a vocalist, that means something to you. I, I don't know if my voice changed or what. But here, here's, here's, here's the deal. The majority of, of the students, the majority, not all, but the majority of students in my Right here in, in Middlebury, Indiana, the majority of them had an idea of who God was, and, and they understood it. And it, it, was, it was even almost like a cultural thing. It's like, yeah, okay, we knew God in this time. But then there were some amongst, amongst us that had repented of their sins and that had gotten saved, born again, as the Bible would say, and there, there's a difference in those students. In, in the New Testament times, there were those, um, all of these people were Jews. I mean, all of those at this point, they were still going to synagogue. I'm talking like Peter. I'm talking to disciples. They still did a lot of their regular Jewish stuff. They went to the prayers a couple times a day. And it looks as if biblically, I wasn't there, but it looks as if biblically they still took part in, in their cultural Jew thing. But listen to me, listen to me. But there was something that set them apart. They had put their faith in the Messiah. And so when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles and to fellowship, this isn't just I came to a church. This isn't I joined church. This isn't something I just, I just showed up and that's where I go on Sundays. This is they stepped into fellowship. And, and how does that happen? It happens through repentance. Why is that important? Because there are those in our community who look like a Christian. They're nice people, culturally. But I need you to see something. When they ask Peter what they should do in verse 37, he doesn't say, be more Christian. Have you ever had someone pull that on you? One time when we were youth pastors, Maine and I, we had a parent that was mad at us because we made a decision I'll never forget. Well, that's not very Christian. It's not very Christian. And I wanted to poke her in the eyes through the phone, but... It's a wise decision, and it was the right decision, but... That's not very Christian. Well, you know what? That, that person, what must we do to be saved? I'm cut to the heart here. I'm cut to the, oh, I'm so, I just feel conviction. Verse 37, what must we do to be saved? Be more Christian. Live out the golden rule. Treat others as you would have them treat you. Be nice. Is that what he said? No, he said, the thing that is going to bring you into Christian fellowship with those of us who are part of the way, it's repentance. The way you come into fellowship with God 
is through Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, and that God the Father raised him from the dead. And, and you've got a friend who's not a believer, but they're really nice. They're kind. They're good overall. The question then becomes, are we saved by our works, by being good? No. Are we made right with God through our actions? No. The first step of joining in the fellowship and joining in with, with, with um, koinonia here, the fellowship is repentance. It's a heart that's regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I need you to think on this, church. Because I believe the definition of what a true Christian is needs to be refined to fit the biblical description more than the Elkhart County cultural description. Or the St. Joe County, or the, uh, um, uh, what's that county to the east? LaGrange County, the LaGrange County, the, to the north, to the south. I, I think we need, to, we need to rethink, we need to ask God to renew our minds why is this so important? It's because, um, because God wants there to be fellowship in you, in this church, the way we see here. Also, God wants us to bring as many with us as possible, right? And, and if we think someone is already saved just because they're nice people. Oh, they're a nice family. Oh, their kids are just so nice. Listen. You can be the nicest people in the world. I'm talking you. I'm not talking anyone. I'm talking you. Your kids can be the nicest kids in the world, but they're headed straight to hell without Jesus. And I don't say that with a smile. I say that just trying to just, let's wake up here. Let's understand if we really want to be a part of the fellowship, the koinonia that we see here in Scripture, it takes us getting on our knees, I mean, and I see symbolically or even physically, in repenting of our sins. That's how we come into fellowship. So, so koinonia, this whole, this whole thing, uh, I want you to wrestle with this. Is it, How do I see people? Just because they're good people doesn't mean they're saved people. And so how do I help them find Jesus? That's really for 22 years has been the target on the wall of our church. Is how do we help simply religious people, people who know about God, but they don't really know God through his son, Jesus Christ. How do we help those people? People find hope and find salvation in Jesus. So koinonia helps us, um, uh, it expresses what we have in together, but it also, um, number two there, expresses what we share out together. What we share out. What we give away. The book of Acts goes on to describe the way in which these first Christians shared stuff. Look at verse 44. So all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. You know, in verse 42, it says they. Do you, do you notice that? I know I, I've probably preached a million times over Acts 2.42 over the past. Well, not a million. Lord, forgive me. But at least maybe 15 times. Out of Acts 2.42... Over the past couple years, as, as the Lord's really brought that into focus for our church. But notice the first verse of 42. It says, they, they, they. Who's the they? Who's the they? They 
Well, that's the disciples. I mean, the 120 that were there in the upper room for sure. Okay, check. Um, but it's also the 3,000 that got saved. Okay, well, that bumps it up a little bit. And then there's even, they were adding to their number daily, Scripture says. So they, why is this important? It's because the sense and the feel you get is that all the believers were together. There was some koinonia. They, you see, the Holy Spirit had touched the insides, had saved them. They repented of their sins, and it, they couldn't sit on it. There had to be some outflow. There had to be some outward going, giving, doing. It, it, doing, going, Doing good stuff wasn't what saved them. It was repentance on the inside. And then, and then it turned in, well, now I've got a blessing. They were all together. It wasn't just all oh, those younger people. They got all the energy. They went around just blessing others. It wasn't, oh, all the older folks who knew one another so well because they'd been together for so long, and boy, they were just blessing one another. It wasn't just them. Oh, it was, wasn't just the middle-aged ones who were at the top of their game making the most money they ever made, and they were the ones generous, generously giving and ministering to one another's needs. No, it was all of them, all the believers that gave as anyone had need. This principle is something you see throughout Scripture, is that God's people, we take care of one another. In, in the book of Galatians chapter 6, it says we carry one another's burdens, right? We carry the load with one another. This is where God wants us to be as a church, carrying one another's burdens, um, rejoicing with one another. Um, there's this outward. Now, uh, in, in this interestingly um, in this, in some, some have referred to this situation. In fact, I got a, a quote on the, on the screen you'll see as early communism. This is clearly not the case, and let me tell you why. First off, um, the giving was voluntary, and it wasn't forced or compelled by the government. Secondly, people still had personal possessions. How do you know that? Because they met in people's homes. And, and, and so you see this mentioned again in another chapter or two in Acts. But after that, you don't see any other place in Scripture where it says we ought to live communally. In fact, just keep in mind something just overall as we study the book of Acts. It, it covers about 30 years. Now, it's not that every chapter is a different year. But if, from this Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28, there's about 30, a little over 30 years of, of history, of church history, of real history in those books. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so as, as some would try to use this as, uh, 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 to try to um, purport and say that, well, Christians ought to be, no, the principle lives on throughout Scripture. You see that throughout the rest of the New Testament. The idea of a communal living type thing is not so. In fact, um, I've shared this quote with you before, but because so many have an Anabaptist or a Mennonite background, Menno Simons the most influential leader of the Anabaptist movement, pointed out that the Jerusalem experiment was neither universal nor permanent, and he wrote, we have never taught nor practiced community of goods. But, um, uh, and, and, and so wh why do you say that? But that doesn't mean that um, they didn't minister to one another. Of course they did. It just wasn't this communal thing. So I just want to hit that. Let's move on. The main idea out of this is that they took care of the needs. They ministered to one another's needs. Why is this such a big deal? Well, let me just say something, and then we're going to just give you some action points, and we'll be done. We'll go, go into labor, because this is Labor Day weekend, right? Um, so before we go into labor, let's, let, let, me just, let me just say something to you here. Um, 
Why is it so important, Scott? Why are you saying this outflow, this giving away, this? Because, do you know, if God can get a hold of my stuff, then and typically he's got my heart. If, if you think about it, let's not forget, the love of stuff is one of the strongest affections which we have. There's nothing that will overcome it but fully embracing the scriptural idea that none of it's mine anyway. Now, I know some of you, you're already there, but let me just encourage you. When it comes to your stuff, stuff you own, your money, your house, your, th- your things, and the, let's just be open-handed. That's what we see here in scripture. That's what we see here in the gospel. I'm not getting ready to take an offering. Relax. But let's, let's <coughs> excuse me, let's be open-handed. Because honestly, this, this shirt, though, though um, I worked for it, the money, and well, I didn't work for the shirt. I, I worked and I bought this and these shoes and these pants. I worked, God supplied finances, and I purchased it. But ultimately, everything I have is not mine. We, we must live as if everything I have is God's. Parents, it's the same thing with our kids. We've got them for about 18 years. We pour into them, pour them to Jesus, do everything we can to help them succeed. And most importantly, success is defined as as following Jesus and doing everything that the Lord would have them to do. That's the ultimate success as a parent. But there comes a point where you gotta release them. You gotta say, okay, God, they're in your hand. Now, you'll always be my kid. I'm always here for you. I love you. Doesn't matter what you do. You may drive me nuts, but I still love you. And I will always love you. But here's the deal. You gotta, you gotta, it's, they're not mine. And so, God, if you want to take them to there or this or do that, Lord, I trust you with them. But our stuff, more importantly, our stuff. If God gets our, our stuff, I, I think it's, it's interesting that, that um, things don't really change. Because one of the greatest temptations of all of us is to think that everything we have is really ours. But when the Holy Spirit moves on you, and says, not just you, said, hey, they need some help. Help them out. This church is full of people that, we, we have a hard time sometimes telling people to stop. <laughs> like when there's a need presented in this church, um, often we won't just get enough. We'll get more than enough. Because you've caught this vision already. And I see this already in the way that you serve one another. Can I just encourage you, let's not stop. Let's have a generous heart towards one another. How interesting that one of the first effects of the gospel, the repentance and commitment to, to, to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, was the loosening of the hold on their stuff. Let's keep moving. So, give me something to take with me here, Scott. Help me walk out of here with some action points. What can I do then if I want to be, if I want to be a part of a church that's that's full of koinonia, the real fellowship. We got this stuff in, in common. I've got the inside thing figured out. I'm going to repent of my sins. And if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to do that. And then out of that repentance and that love for Christ that's now in me and the Holy Spirit at work in me, I'm going to have outflow. And that's what we see here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bless others. I'm going to carry one another's load. It's, it's what James 2.8 calls the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm going I'm to bless other believers. Okay, so, so how can I do this? Well, this just goes right into um, uh, some action points here. Let me give them to you. How can I stoke uh, the fellowship here at Pathway, the koinonia? Here it is. Let me use some one another verses. Love one another. Number one, love one another. Pretty simple. You've heard it before. 
John chapter 13, verse 34. Look at this on the screen. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> Pretty clear there. Pretty clear. Um, he said it uh, many times here. It's a starting point of all relationships in the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and these three remain, faith, hope, and thank you. But the greatest of these is, yeah. Jesus goes on to say in verse 35 of, of John chapter 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, even the Acts chapter 6, it's the deacon ministry. It started to meet physical needs in the body of Christ. There was someone who was being looked over. And there was a group of widows that weren't being ministered to in the same way that others were. Okay, we got to do something here so we can minister to them more effectively so we can serve others. And they came up with this idea of the deacon ministry. That whole ministry was started. Why? So that we could express love in a tangible way to one another. How do we do that here at Pathway? Can I encourage you? Why does Josh get up for three weeks in a row along with me and implore you to plug into a life group? It's because a, a, a majority of the ministry to one another and expressing of love and meeting of needs is done through life group ministry. Through those that you're in, in life with on a regular basis, through those that you're growing with, they, you pray with one another, you, you help one another. In fact, there's times when maybe the need is greater than what even within that group, and so they'll talk to us, and then, then we can get the whole church involved on some level. But we love one another, express love through our life groups. The world was so impressed that many people got saved. In fact, if you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, look at this. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 7, do you see that? A large number of priests, people who knew about God, but they didn't really know God through his son Jesus Christ, who they had just put on a cross. A large number of priests got saved. A large number of people who should have been looking for the Messiah, who taught others to look for the Messiah, but when he lived among them for several years, they didn't recognize him as Messiah, and it wasn't until he died and rose again and then went back up to heaven that they finally said, oh yeah, yeah, there's something to this, yeah. And they put their faith, they repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ. It was out of love for one another. It was a testimony. The way the church loved one another was a testimony. They're holding all things, excuse me, holding things in common. Imagine with me a church where when people come in, one of the first things they notice is, is the love amongst us, how we love one another, how we enjoy dwelling with one another. I ran across this poem years ago, and I thought it fit, so I'm going to do To dwell above with the saints we love, that will be great and glorious. To live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> Second, let's love one another. Second, forgive one another. Fill that in your notes. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. Colossians chapter 3, look at it. On the screen. Therefore, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. Why did he say this? Because he knew there were going to be those times 
when we simply were going to have to bear with one another. We've repented. We've come to Jesus. We're, we're, we're part of the fellowship on the inside. We've committed to Christ, and so there's stuff coming out of us. We're trying to love one another. We're trying to minister to one another, but sometimes even Christian people are hard to deal with. If you haven't figured that out yet, then let me just tell you, there's never going to be a perfect church. There's never going to be a, a place where even the pastor is perfect. None of us are. Just keep looking because this isn't the church. But, but all of us, if we come to grips with the fact that I like to say it this way. We're made up of dirt and divinity when we come to Jesus. I mean, well, I like to think that there's more divine in you than dirt, but there's still some dirt. There's still some flesh. There's still some hot-headedness. I mean, there's still some anger. There's still something. There's still, there's still something that uh, there's a selfishness. There's a pride. There's a religious spirit, and we need to confront that. We need to deal with that. That doesn't mean that's good. But there are times when it's going to get the best of us. And we must do what? We must bear with one another. You get married and you think you're going to have the perfect spouse. We're just, we're just so in love. He's just perfect. He's so wonderful. She's an angel, an absolute angel. Five years later, he's saying, she's a devil. She's a, I think her head was spinning around at night. It was glowing. I don't know where this is coming from. Here's what you're going to discover about life. No one's perfect, not even the person you married. There's dirt and divinity in everyone's life. You're born again, they're born again, but you're still a work in progress until we go home to be with Jesus or until he returns to take us home. So get that. And it's hard um, because the frustrating part about this is when you really get to know people is when you realize what those issues are that you have to bear with. <laughs> We have to choose to forgive. And God give us grace to do that. The past. The hurt. Um, I'm not saying don't deal with it and have a conversation if, if need be. But I heard someone say it this way. Don't nurse it. Don't curse it. And don't rehearse it. Just forgive it. Do, say, God, give me the grace just to forgive. Give me grace to forgive. Number three, third thing, action point. What else can I do? I want to stoke this in our church. I want to stoke this in our life group. I want to stoke this in our family. Here it is, number three, teach one another. As we, uh, Scott, I'm not really a teacher. I'm, I'm a learner, but I'm not really a teacher. Well, let me just show you scripture. Colossians 3, 16. Let the wor word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Why do we need the word of Christ to dwell in us richly so that we can be big, fat Christians and we can know all the Bible verses and be so proud of ourselves? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. No. Why do we learn the word of God? Right here, scripture is very clear. We learn it so that we can teach it. I, you don't have to have a teacher's degree and you don't even have to be necessarily a gifted teacher in order to impart godly biblical wisdom to one another. And this is what, 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 what I, I think we need to learn even within the context of life groups. It's how we can encourage one another with scripture. Encourage one another. Um, bless one another. Um, why do we need the word of God to dwell in us richly? And so that we can speak into the lives of others, into our spouse, into our kids. Who is speaking truth into your life? 
other than your pastor, who else? Who else are you in fellowship with? See, these are the kind of things we're trying to develop within our life groups. Is that so when you're in a life group, there's not just a pastor on Sunday morning. I heard someone say it this way. People need more than a preacher on Sunday. They need a brother or a sister on Monday. And I know we can say, it's good. Well, let's live it. How, how can I live that out? An opportunity to teach one another. Here it is. Let me encourage you. Get signed up for a life group. Find a place to, to sign up. Find a place to get plugged in. Let me give you the fourth one, then we'll be done. I want to stoke the fellowship, the koinonia in this church. What can I do? The fourth one is this. Um, encourage one another. Encourage one another. There are times in our life when if someone doesn't step in and encourage us, we're going to drift away. There could just be one little word. You, the Lord might put someone on your heart to pray for, to think about, maybe someone here in the church, and there might be one little phrase, one little thought that you might say or do or text or call or email or whatever it may be. And God can use that one little word to just be a huge encouragement to them. I know he's not in the Bible, but Mark Twain said it this way. I can live for two months on a good compliment. I'm not just talking about a good compliment. I'm talking about a Holy Spirit. Just, man, I just want to encourage you with Scripture today. I want to encourage you with the Word of God today. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Hebrews 3.12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What's that mean? That means if the, if the devil can get you alone, if the devil can make you get in your pity party or pull you away from other believers because they hurt you. They, and I'm not saying it, it wasn't real, that there wasn't hurt. But if he can get you alone and off to yourself, just like that one charcoal briquette, off to itself, what's, what you're going to begin to find is you're going to find that he's going to put all kinds of other people in your life to affirm that decision. And he's going to begin to surround you with people that aren't godly, aren't Bible-believing, aren't people that have been a part of that's going to just pull you further and further and further back. Scripture says part of the role of this fellowship is to encourage one another. How are we doing at that? Not tear one another down, but encourage one another. Because there is a tendency for every one of us to drift away from God, to depart from the living God. And, and one way we can fix it is this. It's, scripture says is we ought to be encouraging one another. This is what we want to see happen in this church. Let me back up. This is what God wants to see happen in this church. And it's already happening. Let's take it to another level. How can, how can I respond to this message? Well, you, we've got these four thoughts. Love, forgive, teach, and encourage one another. How are you doing with these? In fact, worship team, would you come? I want to ask you, how, how are you doing? Not just a worship team. I'm, I'm hoping they're covering these two. But all of us today, with love, forgive, teach, and encourage. Love, forgive, teach, and encourage. Is there... How are you doing at loving one another? Is there anyone in, in this fellowship that you're struggling to love? Maybe you just need to ask God, give me grace to bear with one another and forgive them. I'm not saying that they didn't do something that frustrated you or hurt you or whatever. I'm not, I'm not taking that away. I'm saying, Lord, would you just give me the grace just to forgive? 
and move forward. Teach. Have you ever thought of that? That part of the reason, well, one of the main reasons God wants you to learn Scripture, yeah, it's for yourself, but it's also so that you can encourage others with Scripture. Encourage others. Help them understand that. I hit this the other day, a couple weeks ago, but let me hit it just once more. Some of you, I realize it. You don't have a high need to be around other people. You don't have that high need. That's just your personality, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the fact of the matter is, you've got something that others need. You've got something that other people need. And so if you plug into a life group, you plug into a local church more, like jump in, there's, there's a role that God has for you, and he wants to play through you, in you. You know, the early church was born. Acts chapter 2 is our text. Before the day was over, there was an explosion among more than 3,000 people getting saved. And the Bible goes on to say they added to their number daily those who are being saved. It doesn't say they set up a conference. It doesn't say they founded a school. It doesn't say they started with theological seminars. And it doesn't even say they went out and found a building. It just says they poured their lives into one. Just let that sink in for a moment. They poured their lives into one another. That's why 22 years ago, we went with the structure of life groups. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. But we feel like through these life groups, we can have an opportunity to pour our lives into one another. And so that, do you remember that picture of the, of the briquette all by itself? We don't want any of you. Because you know what happens down here? This is when temptation sets in. Your marriage starts to break up. This is when uh, when you start doing things that you know you shouldn't do because you're away from the other believers. Or maybe maybe this you, you've pulled away from the other fellowship of believers and you're off to yourself. Maybe you find yourself in positions socially at work. There's not a whole lot you can do, but socially places where you choose to be, you find that you might be the only believer amongst all all the people on a regular basis and instead of you being the fire that's lighting them with the gospel they're pulling you down that's right Scott I'm glad you're saying that because my teenager needs to hear that yes they do but so do I and so do you see if, if the enemy can get you alone look out because that's when depression and that's when hopelessness sets in now, I'm not saying that, that life groups are going to cure every bit of your issue, but it's a step in the right direction. I'll encourage you to, to get involved in koinonia. Maybe we should call them, instead of life groups, koinonia groups. No, that's kind of strange. KG. So, uh, but how are you going to respond this morning? Let me ask you something. Have you, have you repented of your sins? Have you come to salvation? I'm not saying, have you joined church? Have you joined this church, another church? Have you filled out the membership card? I'm not asking if you're serving. I'm not asking. And all, what I'm saying is, have you genuinely joined the fellowship of God's kingdom, of God's people, the fellowship, and even this church here? The, the first step is not to fill out a card and come to a class or a life group this semester. The first step is this. Have you repented of your sins? dealt with that. If you haven't, this morning's a great time to do that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that just in a second. Now, let me ask you, believers, 
Can you allow today the Lord to renew your mind? Can you ask the Lord, renew my mind in the way that I see other people? That I would not define someone as a Christian who's a nice person or a good person or who seems to do um, the golden rule. and those. But I, I would define biblically a believer in Christ as someone who's repented of their sins and that my definition of a Christian would be defined by the Bible, not by, by, by the Elkhart County standard. Can we pray? Would you stand with me? Come on. So Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here today. God, I, I think about the idea that we don't just need a pastor on Sunday. We don't just need a preacher on Sunday. We need a brother and a sister on Monday. And so God, uh, I pray that you would help us as a church to make steps forward in that direction further. And God, of course, we've got our structure of life groups, but even beyond that, God, um, would, you, would you put a divine want to inside of our hearts to have fellowship with one another? And I pray for those in this room that have been hurt by other Christians. Those in this room that for whatever reason, they, they have taken hurt and pain from other believers. And, and I understand, I'm not belittling that, but God, I pray today, would you get them on the train headed towards forgiveness? And God, would you give them grace to forgive one another and to bear with one another? Because um, to be off alone is detrimental. That's where we drift away. But when we're with one another, that's when the fire can be stoked red hot. And so God, I pray you'd help us with all of this today. Speak to us, Lord. God, change our minds. Renew our minds today. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your eyes closed for a second? So um, are you ready to repent of your sins today? Are you ready to admit the fact you're a sinner? Believe in Jesus Christ commit your life to follow him, confessing your sins. If you're ready to do that, I want to pray for you. So wherever you're at, no one looking around, just between you and the Lord and me, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. You're ready to repent of your sins. Thank you for that hand. Who else? You say, I just want to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm right before God. I don't want to just be a good person. I don't want to just be a good person. I want to be a born again believer in Jesus Christ. I need to take this step today. I need to repent of my sins. Thank you for that hand. Holy Spirit's still tugging on your heart. There's still time. Just give you one more moment to respond. This is awesome. So could everyone, could you, could you uh, join me in prayer? you pray this prayer out loud with me and then I'm going to close this out in prayer but can you pray this this prayer out loud as we as we help lead these two people that raise their hands back into a right relationship with with Jesus Christ and uh and uh, we, we do this just to help give direction for them as to how do I pray how do I reconnect with God or connect with God so everyone in the house would you join me in this prayer just repeat after me Heavenly Father I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, for my sins. And today, I admit I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. I believe 
in Jesus Christ that he died and the Father caused him to rise again. I confess all of my sins. I commit my life, the rest of my life, to 100% following Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord praise real quick? Just, God, I thank you for what you're doing. I applaud your greatness, God. I applaud your greatness. Thank you for saving us. Now let's pray for one another. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those that raised their hands today, that prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe coming back to you. They're just renewing their relationship with you. God, we just pray to get today that you would just uh, put uh, something deep inside of them, uh, a divine want to to spend time in your word, a divine want to to pray, a divine desire, just a desire from God to get plugged in with other believers. And I pray, I pray if there's any hurt or any pain of the past, would you give them grace to heal and forgive? and to bear with one another. And God, I, I pray that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit, afresh, anew. God, thank you that you're moving in our midst and that there are two names today that are written in, in, the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're written in glory because of what, what happened here this morning. We, we give you praise and we thank you for that, Lord. And God... I pray that you would just continue to move in all of our lives, that we would not be, we would not settle with just being a good person, not settle with just being a church person, but we would be a repentant person who daily dies to self and takes up our cross, follows you, God. Lord, let that, let that happen in our hearts and our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.